Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. Still on strike. <laughs> some positive um, some positive forward motion uh, came out of this week. There was some cautious optimism from some of the folks who were negotiating, uh, but then nothing really happened, and uh, SAG and the AMPTP, I believe, are supposed to return to the table very soon. Even though at the end of last week, a bunch of actors, including like Zachary Quinto and a whole bunch of others, basically told SAG, like, hey, it sounds like you're close, but don't fuck us over. Which, this is, it's making me crazy, and I'm, my head is reeling with all the different actors of different statures who are on different sides. It's just, it's it's crazy. Like I mentioned last week, the costume guidelines that SAG released, which update on that, Mandy Moore, who was one of the ones who was mad at them, posted to her Instagram stories, pictures of her and her friends dressed up as characters from Beetlejuice. <laughs> so she said, fuck you. And I think that's funny. But then like all these other, so you would think that there are people who want to get back to work, like, People who are advocating for, like, you need to make us a deal. It needs to be a good deal. It needs to be a fair deal. But, like, you can't just go in and keep demanding the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. Like, there has to be negotiation, right? Whereas now, like, that they're starting to negotiate, there's a bunch of other people saying, like, this is great that you're negotiating, but make sure you don't negotiate away everything we want. <laughs> no one knows what they want. Everyone's making it up as they go. And we're now, like, 100-plus days into the SAG strike, and Lord knows what's going to happen uh, I mean, like, it's, I feel like this is a mirror of the U.S. government at the moment. Like, we had the fucking clown car, or clown show. Well, clown car, too, because it was a one fucking speaker candidate after another. But the clown show of the Republican Party in the House right now in Congress. And I mean, they they went through, what, six or seven speaker candidates until they finally landed on one that everyone voted for and the one they landed on was one of the worst ones they could have landed on like there was not a single sane republican which is like maybe in the in 2023 an oxymoron uh there was not a sane republican on the list of speaker candidates it's all these extreme assholes you know like jim jordan and who covered up sexual assault when he was teaching at uh ohio u osu one of those fucking ones in the wrestling program and is Trump's lackey. And then the guy they elected, I think his name is Mike Johnson, is from fucking Louisiana and used to be on the board of a nonprofit that uh, wanted to have a, con uh, a constitutional ban on same-sex marriage and whose wife is on the board of some organization who compared being gay to fucking animals. Like, this is who we elected to be the Speaker of the House, which, if you did not know... In the event of, like, a catastrophe, the line of succession goes president, vice president, speaker of the house. Good lord. And then, you know, all this bullshit of, like, the voting and the infighting and the we're supporting this, but we're not supporting this person and you need to put your name in, but do I have, I'm missing six people's votes that I need for that. It's the same fucking shit with this where everyone's negotiating and trying to get a fair deal and they're going to end up with shit just like we did in this country because nothing is good. Happy Halloween. Happy holiday season to you. Nothing is good. Anyway, speaking of nothing is good, the the other big news story of this weekend was that on Saturday night, Matthew Perry, Chandler Bing from Friends, passed away. He drowned in his hot tub at the age of 54. That is wild. Like... First of all, can we keep celebrities away from bodies of water? Too many of you all drown accidentally in like bathtubs, hot tubs, pools. Like Aaron Carter, Whitney Houston, Matthew Perry, and you know, the police said there was no foul play. They don't they don't ex they expect that it was an accidental drowning, but like a 50-something-year-old man does not accidentally drown in a hot tub unless like there is some extenuating circumstance. You know, like we found out with Whitney Houston that she was on Good Lord, what was she on? She was on, like, uh, she had cocaine in her system and Benadryl and Xanax and a muscle relaxer and weed and all of this other stuff. And that's why she drowned was because she just passed out. I can imagine it's probably something similar with Matthew Perry, sadly. 
And it's just like, the, I know like my Gen X friends, my other millennial friends are in mourning. I was never a friends person. I don't understand friends. I don't get it. I don't get why it's funny. Um, but I obviously understand the cultural impact of it. And especially of like Matthew Perry, who unfortunately uh, could never really break out of the friends mold, you know, unlike Jennifer Aniston or Courtney Cox or Lisa Kudrow, um, Hmm. Now I'm thinking about it. It's the women who are able to break out. The men got kind of pigeonholed. You know, like you had Matt LeBlanc eventually did it by portraying a fictionalized version of himself <laughs> on episodes. But even still, like they're, I think, much more closely tied to their characters than I think the women are. You know, Jennifer Aniston obviously is just like an enormous star at this point. You know, we have the morning show and uh, movies. And I, was she nominated for an Oscar? Maybe not. Could have been, though. Was she nominated for producing something? I forget. Um, but, you know, she had some great uh, dramatic roles later on. Good Girl and uh, what's the, the cake? She's great in those. They're not, not all awesome movies, but she was great. Courtney Cox had Scream. And um, what's that? The tabloid show that was on FX. And now she has a new show on Stars called Shining Veil. Uh, Lisa Kudrow did the comeback and had a bunch of like bit parts and comedies and did a lot of improv and kind of made a name for herself outside of uh, of friends. You know, she's obviously they're all still most known for that, but they kind of found new lanes for themselves. The men never really did. You know, David Schwimmer, I think, tried and I, I would assume has not really succeeded considering I can't name anything he's done recently. And Matthew Perry, same thing. He had some other TV shows one of which I loved. I loved Go On. And that was a show that he was in with Laura Benanti maybe 10 years ago. And he, I think, was like court-ordered to go to group therapy or something like that. Um, but it was about him going to group therapy. I forget the reasoning. I think he was court-ordered. It was very funny, very eclectic. The cast was awesome. And him and Laura Benanti had a really great chemistry. I loved that. But then he also had the Aaron Sorkin show, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, that you know, people still talk about not getting a fair shake, but only lasted one season. He had another show on ABC and he tried to do movies, but, you know, he had some big hits, The Whole Nine Yards, which I think a lot of us fondly remember, and its sequel, The Whole Ten Yards, but they were all bad. Like, even The Whole Nine Yards, which was the most successful, was not good. He had Fools Rush In with Salma Hayek, which was terrible, um, Getting In with Christy Swanson, which was also terrible, and what's the other one? He had another one uh, with Nev Campbell. I can't remember the name of it, but also bad. Like, he, he struggled, and he detailed last year when he released his memoir that then and years after, he struggled with addiction. You know, drugs, um, I think alcohol, don't quote me on that. I didn't read the book. But, you know, that he came out the other side and seemed to be doing well. And then we hear shit like this, where he is found floating in his hot tub. And to make things even creepier... Apparently, the final thing he posted to Instagram was him in that hot tub that he supposedly drowned in. Creepy, gross, very sad. Yeah, I don't really know what else to, to add to that. But yeah, very, very, very strange, very sad. I, I can't really wrap my head around it. That's why I'm like repeating myself and pausing and stuff. I can't really, like I was watching tv last night on saturday when that news broke and i was just scrolling through my feed and i saw someone post a screenshot one of my friends posted a screenshot on instagram stories of um the tmz article and i was like that is so weird no way and i uh so i passed it and didn't really think about it and then like you know maybe a half an hour later um, I was on Twitter and it came up and it was real that like it wasn't just TMZ reporting it. All these major outlets were reporting it, including the LA Times. And I was like, oh shit, you know, like if a legit publication is is posting about it, then it's real. And because I didn't believe it the first time, I think I'm still having trouble believing it. And on top of that, I feel like every time a celebrity dies, other celebrities are like posting condolences and how sorry they are and stuff. But I haven't seen a lot of that today. It's Sunday. It's been more, it's been almost 24 hours since the news broke. And like usually it's the people like the Andy Cohens and the Mandy Moores and you know, like the, the people who kind of you feel like have interviewed everyone or know everyone because they've worked with them or met them or whatever. Um, the only person who posts anything that I follow is Michael Alciello, who used to run a TV line and used to write for TV Guide. But like, 
other than that, I haven't really seen very much about this. So it's just, it's such a strange, this is, this I'll get into with my story of the week about technology, but like, I feel like technology has so desensitized me in particular, but all of us in general to news like this, where I don't know, like I've gotten used to not believing things and assuming that everyone is lying all the time, especially with what with what with what is going on politically and geographically. That like I'm very suspect of news. And that has like now carried over into this where clearly th- th- this has happened, like that a, a celebrity that Matthew Perry has died. And I kind of just am not allowing myself to fully believe it or to like invest in it. Maybe other people aren't too, but like until I see the whole internet talking about it, it doesn't feel real. And that's a weird place to be in. Do you know what I mean? That like, I don't need, it's very strange. Anyway, um, my the show <laughs> that I'm going to talk about this week because I haven't, there, I haven't really watched very much, but I did make sure to um, spend my Halloween weekend watching all four episodes of the new season of American Horror Stories on uh, Hulu. And there might be more episodes coming later. I'm not sure. The first couple seasons were seven and eight episodes. This one was four. So that's weird. Um, I wonder if there are more coming and they they didn't get made yet because of the strike. But Hulu released four episodes of this third season. And if you have not followed American Horror Stories... It is not the same show as American Horror Story, which I ripped apart a couple weeks ago because it's bad. And it has it's almost always bad. It has been bad for a long time, but I still watch it. Um, American Horror Stories, I don't think I've covered it on the podcast before, but it's essentially an anthology horror series, which I feel like is a very, uh, not relatable, but a, a more commonplace version of television horror is these where each episode is its own story. You know, like it's it's a you have like the Twilight Zone, right? It's that kind of thing. It's the Twilight Zone, it's Creep Show, it's Tales from the Crypt. Um, it's the 90s Goosebumps, speaking of, when I re- recapped that a couple of weeks ago, where you get one story per episode. And I don't know if that format comes from the anthology horror comics that used to come out, if it's from like Penny Dreadfuls, where um, you know, like you would sometimes, like you would publish short stories in serials or short stories in newspapers, and sometimes they would turn into serials. Um, I don't know where that, you know, format comes from, but it seems to be very common or more common with horror and sci-fi shows. And this is just American Horror Story, the American Horror Story people putting their spin on it. So this is season three, like I mentioned, the first season. Um, a mixed bag. They tried to tie in the first season with the American Horror Story mythos too much, I think. Like, there were at least two, maybe more episodes of that first season that took place in or featured characters from um, the first season of American Horror Story, the Murder House season. And personally, I didn't find that all that effective. I didn't like it very much that they did that, uh, partially because to me, in, America, in Murder House, the, the house was never the interesting part. It's the people that are occupying the house. So, I don't know. It was it was weird. I did not care for it. Season two moved away from that, um, but was more uneven, I think. Like, there, it, the, the swings and misses were potentially bigger, and... Like I would find myself really enjoying an episode and then hating the next one or enjoying half of an episode and then not I couldn't wait for it to be over. Um, the most prominent example in my mind of that from last season is the episode Lake with Alicia Silverstone where I started out really invested and then by the time it started getting going, I was like, this, is, I, this needs to be over. I hate this. And that kind of storytelling has now carried over into season three and rather than you know going on like I liked this I didn't like this because especially with horror that's very subjective and something I hate someone else is going to love simply because they've connected with it or they like the gore or the special effects or something you know I I do not like for example I do not like almost any of the Friday the 13th movies I think they're pretty terribly written acted plotted directed all of the above there are a couple exceptions maybe, but 
but obviously there are people who that's their favorite shit of all time. So, and it's because they like, I don't know, Jason's mask or they like that it's there's that there is no story and it's just people getting killed or whatever the case may be. So rather than doing an I liked or I didn't like, I want to actually talk thematically about some of these episodes because some of them rubbed me the wrong way and I'm not entirely sure what they're trying to accomplish with their existence. So episode one, probably the strongest of the season overall is called Bestie. And Bestie is about a girl whose mom just died and she moves to a new house and a new school and um, she's kind of, you know, stereotypically nerdy and she is having a hard time making friends and she's obsessed with this horror drag queen on YouTube named Anorexia. And in the chat of one of Anorexia's uh, videos, she meets a girl who messages her with the, the screen name like Bestie Forever or something like that. And they start talking and they immediately go to video chat. And this girl is pretty, pretty extensively deformed um, in the face and wears like a really bad blonde wig. And immediately I'm looking at him like, is this supposed to be scary or funny? Because it looks absurd. And the fact that like the Shelby, who's the main girl, has no reaction is not like, oh, wow, what happened? You know, I feel like like it's maybe it's rude. I'm, I'm sure it is probably rude. You're probably not, quote unquote, supposed to ask someone, hey, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> but uh, I feel like it's also a normal reaction, especially for a teenage girl. Regardless, they like form this really close bond right away, and we don't know this girl's name because she tells Shelby to just call her Bestie, and she does. And the girl talks like this, and she's like, "Oh my God, Shelby, what's our rule? Face your fears." And they just they talk constantly, and their relationship grows to the point where Bestie um, gets Shelby to come out of her shell, but then starts taking things a little too far. You know, like it starts with like, "Oh, you know, wear makeup." Or you're mad at your dad, you should break something he loves. And then it kind of escalates into, like, she starts shoplifting for the thrill of it. She um, dresses up on Halloween as her choir teacher's dead baby, which is fucking wild that I even said that. And, And, but then she doesn't realize how far it's gone until Bestie convinces her to, like, maim herself, basically. And that's like the first half of the episode. And I was into it. You know, like it's very single white female. It's very toxic relationship that, you know, we're used to thinking about toxic relationships in terms of like domestic violence or, you know, partner abuse or, you know, like whatever the, the power upset is within a romantic relationship. But we rarely examine the toxicity of a lot of friendships. Um, And again, why do I love the 90s so much is because so many things were movies and TV shows were about friendships like that. And like the only real one that I can think of in my head right now is Jawbreaker, which is from that time period that really dives into how toxic female friendships can be in high school. Anyway, um, so she meets a new friend in real life and they bond and then there's a surprise twist ending. And overall, like, this was, like I said, the strongest of the episodes. I don't have a whole lot of, like, analysis to do of this, other than the fact that, like I said, I appreciated um, this view of, like, how far we will go for our friends. Um, And then also the added angle of it being an online or a virtual friendship. You know, especially coming out of the pandemic, which is explored in in the next episode, that a lot of our friendships, we had no choice but to make them virtual. We had no choice but to make these digital online connections and to have that really replace a lot of um, a lot of our real life interactions. And I've said on the podcast before, I'm a teacher. I teach college freshmen. And I've noticed this a lot that between the pandemic and screen time, that we are fucked. Like 18, 19 year olds that I have in my class do not know how to speak to each other. They do, they do not participate. They do not do their work. They are consumed utterly 
by their phones and they are terrified of face-to-face interaction, of eye contact, of speaking just in general. And, you know, like, and not that like they don't have personalities or whatever, like they sit in my class and text the whole time, but they will not have a conversation in person with people in the room with them. It's very strange. So like I related to this episode on that level that I understood Shelby and where she was coming from and forming this very unhealthy, but seemingly necessary and like immediately deep bond with this girl to the point that like I also then understood the motivation for what happens in the final scene that I'm not going to spoil because it was a su- weird it's a surprise I don't know if I liked the ending I'm not sure what it has to what how it changes the message of toxic relationships and friendships but um yeah it was it enlightening right okay so that's bestie Again, the best of the of these four. The second is Daphne, which stars Reed Scott from Veep and Gwyneth Paltrow off the Ryan Murphy bench after The Politician. And uh, she plays the voice of an AI system named Daphne that is very advanced. And, okay, here's the thing. This storyline, not at all unique, not at all new. Um, it's Black Mirror. It's... Um, it's there, this book, what the hell is it called, that I read, The Mansion, you know, like rogue AI or people falling in love with their artificial intelligence devices like Alexa, not new. Go watch the movie Her by Spike Jones. Fucking fantastic. I think that came out in 2009, one of my favorites of that year that it came out. It's uh, Scarlett Johansson as an AI, like an Alexa Siri type voice and Joaquin Phoenix. Brilliant, beautiful movie. So this story is not new. Pandemic happens, not COVID, a new one where the virus turns people blind. And apparently during COVID, um, our lead character, whose name I, Will, Will, his name is Will, um, went a little crazy and during COVID. So now in this new lockdown, everyone's worried about him. So his friend, who's a tech genius, sends him a prototype for a new AI system named Daphne. And Daphne is like really adept at knowing exactly what he wants, the perfect temperature of his shower, um, uh, how he likes the best like sounds and lights to play when he wants to fall asleep, um, how to make him money, what, you know, all of basically that she's like the perfect assistant and then eventually thinks she can be the perfect partner. And she, the AI system becomes jealous once the lockdown lifts and he's back with his girlfriend and uh, basically commits a bunch of murders and, becomes like a jealous actual person. Nothing new, nothing unique, nothing even particularly well done except for the acting. Reed Scott is great. Gwyneth Paltrow, I'm loath to say, was very effective as Daphne. I don't don't like her, but she was good in this. But there's not there's nothing going on here. Like, oh wow, we have unhealthy relationships with our devices. Who fucking knew? <laughs> like we get it. Um AI is out of control. Yeah, we know. So not again not the most interesting storyline there. Now, episode three is the one that I have feelings about. Okay, I'm going to center myself here. Episode three is called Tapeworm. And it is about a beautiful black woman named Vivian who arrives fresh from Iowa to New York City in, I I think it's supposed to be like the 90s. And she wants to be a model. So on her first day, she goes to an agent named Sheila Klein, who is played by Lisa Rinna. <laughs> I forget all the time that she's an actor because, you know, I've only really, the only thing I really have ever watched her on is The Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, but she was pretty decent in this. Anyway, she plays this modeling agent who, you know, says, Vivian, you have star power. You could be a supermodel. You have a great walk. Uh, the only person I've met who ever had, who ever had what you have is Linda Evangelista. But I can't sign you. You're too fat. So uh, Vivian goes on what is uh, the same drug basically as Ozempic, which I was like, oh, this is going to be a commentary on Ozempic being like a modern tapeworm. That's where I thought this was going. Because, you know, you hear about Ozempic all the time. All celebrities are on it. Speaking of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, that premiered this week. Erica Jane is very clearly, allegedly, 
on Ozempic, and her castmates accused her of it, and she was like, no, I'm not on Ozempic. I'm just on really good hormones. Like, okay, bitch. Um, and even Dorit in a confession was like, is hormones spelled O-Z-E-M-P-I-C? So, like, Ozempic is a smaglitude, and it's there's also Wigovi and Manjaro and whatever that the smaglitude is what her, the doctor puts Vivian on in the show to help her lose the weight and come down from size four to a size zero. She does it. She books the job. She gets all these. She gets the agent, gets all these great jobs, um, but then needs to do more uh, because she finds out that she has a heart defect, so she can't keep taking the uh, the the injection because it's affecting her heart and she's passing out. So the doctor gives her a tapeworm in a little larva, and she swallows it with some oolong tea. And before long. She's losing all this weight, but the, like, tapeworm is making her evil, which, what the fuck is this all about? And she's, like, the doctor's, like, feed it moderately so it doesn't take over and you're not controlled by the hunger. And then she just, like, feeds it uncontrollably, like, fried chicken and shit. Like, that's, we see her eating fried chicken, like, ten times in the episode, which, like, first of all, it's a little bit of a racist image. I'm just going to throw that out there. Just see this black model just eating fried chicken constantly. Like, what the fuck was that about? Anyway. Um, and then, like, the the more she feeds it, the eviler it gets, the the more it like starts to take over her and she starts being an asshole and the skinnier she gets and she shows up to her dream job um, posing for the cover of Vogue and they tell her now she's too skinny. So she goes to the doctor, get rid of this tapeworm. I'm going to spoil the end of this one, by the way, because it's the only way I can talk about the episode. So if you do want to watch this episode without spoilers, please pause here, go watch it and then come back to the episode or like, I don't know, skip ahead like, 10 minutes or whatever until you <laughs> until you find something else I'm talking about. Anyway, um, she goes to the doctor to get this tapeworm removed. He's like, it's, no, it's too late. We've the, Anything that would kill the worm would also kill you. You can't do the surgery. You're too weak. So he gives her like something that will, um, instead of killing the tapeworm, drive it out of her body. And I shit you not, pun, I shit you not, um, a direct line from this is, the tapeworm has a natural revulsion to this. Once you swallow it, it's going to head for the nearest exit. Your anus. <laughs> and no joke, beats and all, that is what the doctor says to her. So Vivian goes home and she drinks this little potion thingy the doctor gives her to draw or like flush out the worm. And he says, you know, if you've been feeding it moderately, like I told you, it should be about a foot long. So when you see the head, just pull it out of your anus. So she takes it, lays down in the bathtub, and she starts, like, getting stomach cramps, right? And then it sounds like she's having a baby. And she looks down in the bathtub, and it's like all this discharge. And then I, <laughs> the head of the tapeworm comes out, and it's, uh, it's large. And I'm not joking that when I tell you what's about to happen is supposed to be scary and it's filmed as a jump scare and I'm sure it is supposed to be a jump scare but rather than being scared at the moment when you're supposed to go ah at the jump scare and like clutch the person next to you or like grab for a pillow or something or throw your popcorn in the air like in those AMC movie you know intro trailer things instead of doing any of that I started laughing uncontrollably as it was, I, it's one of the funniest things I have ever seen. And I do not, like I said, it is unintentionally funny, but it, I could not control my, I was laughing so hard. Okay. So the tapeworm slithers out of Vivian's asshole into the bathtub and like curls up into the camera shot. Like the camera's like a POV, like we're, we're Vivian looking down at her in between her legs at the discharge and the tapeworm slithering out of her out of her rectum and it points its little head up <laughs> i'm laughing now and it looks like you ever see little shop of horrors the movie and like you know the little vines like move around on the puppet it looks like that and it like looks right up at the camera and then it opens its mouth and hisses <laughs> and it looks like one of the little aliens from alien the xenomorph and it lunges at the camera, which is Vivian's face, and she catches it, and it's, like, snapping and snarling at her head. <laughs> and then she, like, throws it against the side of the tub and, like, collapses, exhausted. And we see it, like, in the background moving. And we think it's, like, going to crawl back up into her hole. 
Uh, no, it slithers up her like a little snake and then kills her. It like slashes her throat. And then a roommate comes in and finds it in the bathtub and finds her. And <laughs> I'm still laughing at how bad this was. She walks into the bathroom and the tapeworm is like on the ceiling and it's descending behind her. And then it wraps itself around her neck and go enters her and she becomes this new bitch with the tapeworm inside of her. It is so fucking funny. Guys, <laughs> watching a model rip a hungry, toothy worm out of her asshole as it tries to eat her face is so campy and insane. I can't believe that it even exists. Wild. But okay, so my issue with this episode, maybe you gleaned it a little bit, is um, I understand this is meant to be like a deep dive into the horrors of the modeling industry, but that's not new or interesting or unique. Um, we, this is a story that has been told time and time again. Neon Demon, one of the ones that pops out. I mean, you take your pick, anything that's about models behaving badly. So that's not a new thing of like, oh, models need to be super skinny. There's so much pressure to be a model. Wow, wow, wow. We fucking know. Um, my issue is with the way that weight loss is portrayed in this. Like, if this particular story, like with the Ozempic stand-in plus the tapeworm, were just about a like regular person or even, God forbid, an overweight or even I'm about to get crazy. An obese person? If any, if it had been about one of them wanting to lose weight, this would be relatable and I think more understandable. And I think also more effective. Because to like watch a beautiful skinny woman like give up everything she has to go down two sizes is not relatable because most people are never going to look like that woman did when she was a size four in the beginning of the episode. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the reason Ozempic has become like the word on everyone's lips recently is that people are abusing it. So I think, again, if this had been about Ozempic and about how skinny people abuse these, like uh, these resources they have for weight loss and management and things like that, that could have also been a really cool story that like, oh, there are people who are dying because they can't get this medication because it's being bought by rich, skinny people who just want to be richer and skinnier. That could be more interesting. But like watching a skinny person waste away, an already skinny person waste away into nothing is not fun and it's not relatable. And like, it turned me off entirely, and that's why I found the ending so absolutely absurd. Other than the fact that it is fucking absurd. To, like, I don't know. I don't know. There is such a stigma against being overweight and obese. And, like, I myself, I think I've talked about this before. Uh, in 2021, I went to a doctor because I was the last person in my family to not be diagnosed as a diabetic. My mom, my dad, my sister, and my aunt all are diabetic. And my aunt had just been diagnosed, like, in the beginning of 2021. So I was like, oh, maybe I should go to a fucking doctor. I don't go to a doctor. So I found a, a, um, a GP, and I went and told me I was borderline diabetic. I had high cholesterol, and I needed to lose weight. Otherwise, I was looking at going on medication for the rest of my life at the age of, how old was I then? 33. 34? 33. 33. I don't know how old I am. <laughs> so I started losing weight and I lost. At one point, I was down almost 75 pounds. I gained some of it back, some of it's muscle, some of it's just normal, like the fact that I went back to being a normal person. Um, but I'm still down over 50 pounds since the beginning of 2021. And when I tell you how fucking hard it is to be one, an overweight person and to an overweight person in the realm of like the weight loss journey it is so unhealthy like episodes like this about like models starving themselves that has nothing 
on the mental hoops that a fat person will jump through to justify their weight loss. The binge eating, the like the the fasting, quote unquote, that really is just another way of saying starve yourself, but it's doctor sanctioned. Um, like these unrealistic expectations you then get of for yourself, the like the the almost addictive, and I mean that in the most clinical way, like the dopamine, the hormonal addiction, like the same reason that people get addicted to like alcohol and smoking and drugs, that same feeling you can get from watching the numbers on the scale drop and how that then also affects both your mental and physical health, I think would make for a better story in this way. Like like I said, if this tapeworm was not literal, if like they called the episode tapeworm, but it was really about like a psychological disorder, and again, this would have to be from an overweight person's perspective, and it would need to flip the onus onto the rest of society as well. Because as much as I lost weight for my own health, that is why I did it, I would be lying if, like, I post videos of it and, and like, photos and stuff. That's not just to show, that like, that's obviously not just for my health. That's because I'm proud of the fact that I've done this. Why am I proud of the fact that I've lost weight? Why is that something to be proud of? That's so th- sick when you think about it. That, like, I am proud of the fact that, I don't know, that I have, like, the mental discipline to not eat the food that I want to eat. Or that... I now waste an hour plus of my day doing cardio that before this, who knows what I was doing? Writing a whole lot more, I can tell you that much. I haven't written shit since I've been on, like I used to write all the time. Haven't written shit since I've been dieting. Like what am I losing for being on this? Like that would have been a more effective and new form of telling this story. But that's not what it is. It's a body horror thing. And that was effective. I'll give it that. That, you know, watching her, like, physical descent was unsettling. Watching, like, for me, though, the most unsettling part was the scene of, like, a woman who had bulimia. Like, she was just throwing out of the bathroom. That was the most graphic thing, I think. Well, because that's real. Do you know what I mean? Why did I love last season of American Horror Story NYC? It was because it was real. It was about AIDS. Um... So I just had issues with that. And again, like, I don't know. I don't really know what else to say about it besides that. That, um, you know, when I say every week that, you know, I analyze and hear TV shows about good more analysis, like, this is the shit that I'm talking about. Like, I'm not just saying I like this or I don't. I'm not just, like, making fun of what it is or the way it's filmed or written or whatever. It's horror in particular. I've mentioned this in the past few weeks with all the Halloween stuff I've been covering is very much about... Um, real things and real issues. Like, you know, George Romero, when he made all of his Zion movies, those were about civil, like they had a civil rights undertone, a, a, an undertone of like fighting racism. Do you know what I mean? Like the slasher movies that were hugely popular or the, the resurgence of them in the 90s were very meta and they were about like confronting ourselves. That, like, this is what we've been presented. We need to challenge that. And it became very meta in that way that it was like a looking glass self in the late 90s and now. And a a lot of the horror we have recently is escapist horror. And, or it's this techno horror, like the first couple episodes of this. Other than this particular episode, Tapeworm, the other three are techno horror. They're about the horrors of technology and creation and artificial intelligence. So to see this episode exist in this way of like, oh, skinny person wants to get skinnier and then gets too skinny and gets eaten by her own skinniness is just so awkward and weird. I didn't like it. But again, as just like a body horror episode, it was kind of gruesome and gross. I, I could at least get behind that. But who? And the final episode I have, again, not much else to say. Nothing original. It's called Organ. And it's about a guy who wakes up one day and he's a misogynist asshole. And he treats women like shit. And one day he meets one on an app who he wants to sleep with and she drugs him takes his kidney and implants in him a new organ that is going to grow within him and it's this whole like organization that does this to men who are awful um because no one will miss them and they want to extend the life of women which like okay that's a twist but this is just the stolen kidney story of urban legend so nothing good nothing new and also this is the worst acted episode of the season and maybe of the whole series 
Raul Castillo, who was uh, Richie on Looking and has been in a whole bunch of other shit, was the lead in this. And he was absolutely wretched. Like, the most, like I made fun of Kim Kardashian a couple weeks ago from Delicate with the don't rep it. Like, that is how he acts in this episode. Oh, you're in on it? Huh. You cops, you're in on it. Like, that's how he talk. Like, he's having these realizations and he's handcuffed in the back of a car being driven to God knows where to have more organs removed for all he knows to be murdered. He's like, huh, you're in on it. It's so weird, so terrible. It was so bad. It was really, really bad. And I have nothing to say about it. It adds nothing to the show. Um, but my bi- the big one I wanted to talk about was Tapeworm because it bothered me. And... Um, made me feel a certain way. And I know that a lot of people aren't going to give a shit. And I'm like, oh, creature feature. And that's fine. Um, but like looking at the the background of these things is important. And I don't know. Also the writer of this episode, of the two best episodes, like Bestie and Tapeworm, of both those episodes, the writer is new. He's never written for TV before other than his own web series. His name's Joe Bacon or Bacon. I don't know how you pronounce it. Um and he's a gay guy from Montana, and uh, you may remember him from about 10 years ago because he faked a hate crime in real life. He told people he's from Montana, and he told police that he was uh, beaten up for being gay outside, I think, outside of a gay bar. And then he found out that he actually was drunk and trying to do backflips and hit his head on the concrete. Yeah, if you remember that story, which was reported in, like, The Advocate and Out and a whole bunch of other places, this guy's now writing TV. So... Maybe not surprising that this episode is, like, a little out of touch. I don't know. But then he also wrote Bestie, which is the better one of the, which is the best of the whole season. So who the fuck knows? Not I. But all four episodes of season three are streaming now on Hulu of American Horror Stories if you want to check them out. All right. Hallmark Countdown to Christmas recommendation time. Okay. Now, I have to confess, I'm a little disappointed in the quality of Hallmark's countdown to Christmas movies so far. I I know we have a lot more to go and there are like the the most ones that I was most excited about have not happened yet. Like my first week recommendation was my recommendation cuz it sounded the best but was not one when they announced the whole slew of movies that I was looking forward to. So I'm hoping there are some more surprises because this weekend's movies were a big old stinker i haven't watched my recommendation which was joya noel because it hasn't aired yet i'm recording this on sunday but uh, mystic christmas not so great uh like fine but not great and uh what was the other one um design by christmas by design terrible uh cookie cutter throw every hallmark trope in a bag out they pop but poorly acted, poorly written, boring as hell, very standard, did not like it. And then Miss Christmas Comes to Town, also kind of like overly sappy and like goofy. So this weekend, not a great one. I have high hopes, though, for next weekend. So coming up first on Thursday is My Christmas Guide. After losing his eyesight, a college professor adopts a seeing-eye dog from a guide dog trainer. As they all begin to spend time together, his confidence returns and his heart begins to open. First of all, kudos to Hallmark for the representation. They cast an actual um, legally blind person as the guy who needs a seeing eye dog. His name is Ben Mel. He was in You. He was the blind librarian on You. And the female lead is Amber Marshall, who I don't really know. She's been on like some horse show on Canada for like a decade. So kudos to them for doing that. Um, I'm excited for cute dogs, but otherwise this sounds like a very, um, it's, it, it sounds like a no for me, but okay. Friday, flipping for Christmas. It's almost Christmas when busy realtor Abigail agrees to help her sister with the quote, simple flip of a recently inherited home. Unfortunately, co-beneficiary Bo has other plans in mind. So last week we had the Project Runway Christmas movie. This week, we're getting the HGTV Christmas movie. So they're going to flip a house in time for Christmas. Hoo-hoo. Can't wait. This is Marcus Rosner, who was in Notes of Autumn, which I reviewed a few weeks ago. And uh, Ashley Newbro, who was in two Hallmark Christmas movies in the past, Small Town Christmas and A Merry Christmas Match, which were both bad. So I do not have high hopes for that one either. 
Saturday. Here's my recommendation for the week. I am so excited for this one. Never been Christ. <laughs> Home for the holidays, BFFs Naomi and Liz reconnect with high school crush Chris Silver. A complex love triangle forms, forcing them to take stock of their lives and find the value of friendship. Again, as I mentioned, I like things that are about friends. Love triangle, I'm down for it. We don't see those a lot in Hallmark movies, where if we do, one of them is clearly a villain. So I'm excited for that. Like, how do they resolve this? How is this about friends with one guy? Is it? A, are we getting a polyamorous Christmas movie from Hallmark? Maybe. Who knows? And it stars Janelle Parrish, who was Mona on Pretty Little Liars and has been in a couple of these movies. She was in Coyote Creek Christmas um, and Holly and Ivy and maybe some others. I don't remember. And Pascal Lamoth Kipnis, who is brand new not only to Hallmark, but to, like, acting. <laughs> she hasn't really done anything. They're the two friends. And then, oh, Tyler Hines, who is such a dreamy man. He is so handsome. He is so good looking. He was in Three Wise Men and a Baby last year. He was hot as fuck in An Unexpected Christmas, which was my favorite of 2021. And he's just generally, like, so charming that even his bad movies are super enjoyable because you get to look at him. So that is my recommendation. Never Been Christ, Saturday at 8 o'clock on Hallmark Channel. And then on Sunday at 8 is The Santa Summit, which I'm not going to lie, I'm excited for this one too. I have a longer synopsis for this one that's on the website rather than the app. It's time for the annual Santa Summit in which revelers put on Santa suits and hop around designated locations in town to eat, drink, and be merry. Three breasts, three breasts, three best friends decide to go together. Jordan, a recently dumped art teacher looking to cut loose. Ava, a shy woman hoping to run into her crush. And Stella, a Christmas cynic with no interest in the Santa Summit whatsoever. At the start of the night, Jordan meets and bonds with Liam, but doesn't get his name before getting separated and lost in a sea of Santas. As the night progresses and hijinks ensue, amidst the chaos celebration and a sea of Santas, they all find what they're looking for. Christmas spirit, potential romance, and a strengthened bond of friendship. Okay, now, if you've never experienced SantaCon in New York City... That's what this is based on. And it's where a bunch of drunk 20 and 30-somethings dress up in bootleg Amazon SheanWish.com Santa suits and just drink their way around Midtown. And I had the unfortunate experience of once being in Midtown while SantaCon was happening. Um, not to brag, but I had written a little play that was being performed in Times Square. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it happened to be SantaCon weekend. So we were just dodging vomit left and right. It was bad. It is, they are disrespectful. I have seen Santas passed out in piles of garbage. I have watched Santas vomit. I have stepped around Santa vomit. Um, I have watched female and male Santas get into slapping fights outside of bars. It is an experience. And there's a lot of hijinks you can get out of a movie about this. But, like, maybe, like, a movie by Seth Rogen or something. You know what I mean? Like, a sequel to The Night Before that takes place at SantaCon. But instead, we're getting a Hallmark movie about it, which is fucking wild. And so I can't wait to see what the hell they do with this concept of drinking your way around the city dressed as Santa. <laughs> so I am excited for this one. Hunter King plays the lead, Jordan. She was in um, A Royal Corgi Christmas last year which most people hated, I thought was adorable, mostly because of the dogs. And Benjamin Hollingsworth, who is on, I keep wanting to say Mystic River, but that's not it, Virgin River, on Netflix. And uh, they're, they're the little old leads in Santa Summit. And that also sounds bizarre, and I'm excited to see what the hell they do with that one. But a recommendation officially has never been Christ on Saturday at 8. Again, you can watch all of these live. They are at 8 o'clock Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this weekend. The Thursday movie is on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. If you have Peacock, Peacock has the live channels. If you go to the channel section and look for them, you can watch them live. Um, you can also watch them on demand for the three days after they air on Peacock. So the Thursday will be up Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday will be up Saturday, Sunday, Monday, etc. Or if you have a DVR or what have you, Philo TV, Friendly TV, record these and catch up because then you can get the little Hallmark app and download and follow along and you can play the Hallmark Countdown to Christmas movie game if you would like. It's trivia and word searches and like polls and stuff and it's very stupid and like you get points for 
giveaways. I think they're giving away like $20,000 or something and $1,000 every week. Um, and you can join my team. It's called Fake TV Critics. And you can either search for it or go to my Twitter. There's a link there. And you can join my team and play along. I am currently um, one of the in last place <laughs> on my own team, or at least I was last time I checked. Because everyone who was on who decided to join my team is better than me, at, apparently, at these questions. So there you go. And I'm not even doing all that poorly. I'm doing pretty well. Um, so there's a recommendation for the week. Um, it's October 30th. Happy Halloween tomorrow. But as you know, um, it's now Christmas. It's now Christmas. So hopefully more of you will get on board with these Hallmark Christmas movies and start watching. Because as of Wednesday, November 1st, it is officially Christmas to me. And you can no longer feel guilty about listening to Christmas music. Cher released a new Christmas album. It is very fun. There's a new Bing Crosby Christmas album of like remastered and unearthed, unreleased songs called Christmas Gems. Um, we have a whole slew of shit coming out soon. Johnny Mathis has a new Christmas album. Like he's And that man is like almost 90. We're getting a Seth MacFarlane Christmas album on Friday. Matt Rogers, who was hysterical. I recommended his Christmas special last year. He is releasing the music from that as an album. Oh, God, who else? Um, Straight No Chaser has a new e Christmas EP coming out. Brandy has a Christmas album coming out. It's an embarrassment of riches this year, and I'm very excited. So no longer feel guilty. Get on board with these recommendations. Okay. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic. I'll be back next week with more news, more recaps, more reviews, more analyses, and more recommendations. Have a great week, everyone. Oh,